On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we're fangs out with the cast of teen blood-sucking melodrama Vampire Academy on Peacock, back on the beat in Norn Iron with James Nesbitt in Series 2 of Bloodlands on BBC One, and dragging all our skeletons out of the closet alongside Daisy May Cooper in Am I Being Unreasonable, also on BBC One. Plus, we are joined by the delightful Ophelia Lovibon this week, here to talk about her role in Minx, as well as playing Mrs. Boris Johnson, Carrie Simmons, in Kenneth Branagh's upcoming This England. I'm James Dyer, and welcome to this very sad episode of the Pilot TV podcast. It's been a lot to deal with these last few days, but we're just about to come to terms with the fact that the up-to-the-minute embargo means we won't be able to talk about season two of Fate the Wink Saga on this week's show. All I can do is apologise, doubly so, because Paramount Plus's Minx is also embargoed, completely torpedoing my Fate the Wink Saga, Minx the Fate Saga joke, which, frankly, I was quite looking forward to. Of course, a few other things have also happened over the past few days, in addition to us being de-winked, notably the death of our monarch, Queen Elizabeth II, uh, a constant in all our lives for, well, all of it. Uh, but the shows must go on, and Pilot TV must be here to watch them for you, so we will get on to that later. But with me today, as we bravely soldier on, are my two co-hosts, Boyd Hilton, who I can only assume is even now wondering how this will all play out in a future season of The Crown, and Beth Webb, who has been watching that Royal Paddington skit on repeat since the news was announced. Hello, I didn't know you were doing that introduction, listeners. I yeah. didn't know he was it's doing that. Distancing <laughs> yourself from it. Yeah, I'm yeah. instantly. I would, I would formally. Uh, Beth and I would formally like to distance ourselves from any remarks made by James or any tone of voice used by him in his introduction to this week's podcast. I think it was very respectful. Hmm. You, yes, yes, um, you did. Yeah, you go for it, but, mate. Yeah. I mean, we, we should obviously talk about this. It is, it is a big culture. It's not really what I would call necessarily intersecting with our world and our remit in terms of, of you know, entertainment television, but it's a big thing. It's a very big thing as a sort of a cultural moment. And of course, it has repercussions, I guess, in our world, because hasn't the BBC announced that there will be no comedy shows for the next two weeks? Yeah, everyone says the humour is suspended for the following 14 days, so no no laughing in television like there's no crying in baseball there's no laughing on television in many ways this improves my prospects of actually enjoying things I mean, on television true. for the next couple <laughs> yeah. of weeks but yeah, uh, you, you, you'll be fine two with two weeks it. of james life yeah it is yeah which by the way i've just realized this is live um live realization that one of the shows we're, we're, we're reviewing today probably won't in fact be on <laughs> so you know when 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 we're when we're hoping it was going on because of that recent edict by the bbc because it is a comedy i mean the, oh. so anyway yeah so, we'll get to that are they, they being unreasonable void <laughs> yes they're right exactly <laughs> i have to say that i mean obviously um it's it's a whole thing as a tv event isn't it really i mean everything it, it, the whole thing is seen through the lens of tv presenters and pundits and you know where were you when it was announced on TV? It's such a TV event, but it is also, but it does have massive repercussions because, um, yeah, not that comedy edict, which I don't think has been officially confirmed, has it? I, I don't know. I read the story, but I don't know if BBC's actually admitted that that is their policy or how long it's for. But certainly, all the shows, all TV, pretty much seems to be in flux, and they kind of have to weigh up. On an individual basis, the channel, certainly the traditional channels, you know, BBC One, BBC Two, ITV, Channel Four, and Channel Five, have ransacked their schedules and changed their schedules to cover as much as they can of the the, the death of the Queen, and um, I think that'll be ongoing for a while. 
the streamers, the, the the global, you know, I don't think Netflix and Prime Video and I don't, you're not going to, you know, don't worry, Lord of the Rings will still drop every Friday and, you know, so it doesn't affect them. But all of the traditional BBC, all the traditional British channels are definitely in, in flux, shall we say, right now. Mm. It was a, It was a really weird cultural moment on Thursday when it was announced, because on the one hand, you had lots of sort of national sort of shock and outpourings of grief of this person who's a constant, let's be honest, a constant who has been in all our lives since we were born. Like the Queen has always been there, like like some kind of sort of like relative looking over. She's always been the sort of constant presence. And whether you're a monarchist or not, there's something I think quite comforting about the Queen and comforting about the fact that she was quite neutral and she wasn't one for wading into politics. She always seemed above everything. She had a kind of like a, like as if petty politicking was just beneath her notice. And I always thought that there was something, you know, frankly, very just regal about her manner in a way that Charles in many ways is very different because he does get involved in that kind of stuff. So I always quite liked that about her. But it was strange watching, on the one hand, people being quite shocked and getting scripts with it, but then also going on Twitter and just watching these tin-eared testimonials from people like Greg's. Greg's testimony to Queen Elizabeth II was one of the weirdest things I've ever seen, not least of all, because they found a picture of the Queen in Greg's blue. And I was like, what are you doing? And just so many random brands. Like, like yes, absolutely. You know, we couldn't go on without hearing what Anne Summers thought about the Queen's passing. It was so strange. So strange. Someone did helpfully compile a Twitter thread of all the most ludicrous ones. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's, uh, Shrek, Shrek it's a big the thing. musical really got oh me. Shrek the oh musical stats. <laughs> and didn't Lego tweet out with a little Lego queen as well? And they were like, Playmobil yeah. queen. Yeah, yeah. Playmobil, Playmobil, that was a yeah. Playmobil. Yeah. Yeah. So strange. Wild. So very, very strange. I, mean, I, don't, but, I don't know what's strange. All of those, as you say, kind of corporate tributes to the queen, or you talk, talking us through your feelings about it just now. I mean, James, oh, I don't know. I, it was completely unrelated, <laughs> no, my feelings about Fate the Wing Saga, <laughs> which I have to say was a blow, Boyd. I'm not going to lie. It but, was a blow. Oh, I don't doubt. I don't doubt. I'm looking forward to getting you, seeing you on, you know, ITV News or something. James Tyler's version. Yes. As, as the real how victim this is affecting. Here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, I mean, it, I t- one thing, there was a really lovely, I agree with everything you said, actually, to, to be to, to be honest about her being like a relative and all that. It was very good. Um, but, and a constant in our lives, indeed. There were Frank Cottrell Boyce, who I love, you know, who is um, the writer and um, uh, in lots of brilliant children's books. He was talking, he was on Breakfast News this morning, Friday, as we're, as we're speaking now, talking about the filming of that Paddington sketch with the Queen. And he and it was so interesting because he was talking about how unbelievably thrilled she was to do it, and because obviously when she's still alive, yeah, when she's still alive, no one is allowed really and officially not supposed to talk tell anyone what you've said to the Queen or what she's said to you. You have to. It's all top secret, I believe. So is it? I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You're not really supposed to say what she, anything that she says for fear, I think, of breaking the idea that she's completely above all comment politics etc so they that fear that she's anyone ever would ever reveal what she thinks about anything yeah. there's always that's why you never ever hear any like opinion about or whatever no. i mean the rumor is she's an arsenal fan the sun wants to front page saying the queen is towards arsenal which of course i fully hope is true <laughs> of course you do. Is true but but i don't know if anyone actually ever covered it anyway frank culture boys talked about he when they were filming that sketch he was there that bit for paddington and he was talking about how overjoyed she was to be doing it she loved it and she had to properly act because she not she wasn't acting with a Paddington. Obviously, yeah, it was a bit yeah. of, it was a CGI, you know, thing. And wasn't, she completely wasn't nailed Ben Wishaw there in the pajamas. He didn't mention that. Um, oh, that's but, 
wild. What, in the yeah. mocap wild suit? I don't know. your day. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, but she's really good when she pulls the sandwiches out of her handbag. Like, it's a yeah. lovely, lovely little sketch. Yeah. yeah. Completely, yeah. 100%. And she also loved doing the James Bond thing for the Olympics as well. So the whole, That was, was great. Frank, yeah, which Frank Gottschall Bush wrote for, for Danny Boyle because yeah. they worked together. Yeah. So those like huge pop culture um, moments, those film and TV related moments were, were fantastic, I think. But it's funny, isn't it, that she did those things, which on the face of it could seem slightly absurd, but at no point did they ever puncture that kind of regal detachment that she had. It just you, it just made her more endearing, I think, those kind of things did. Yeah, and I, I am absolutely Republican, obviously, being a, being a liberal lefty twat, but um, yeah. I agree. Yeah, but I think I think you can be. But I wonder whether you know, regardless of your political leanings on this, there was. A, I think everyone had a, a level of affection for her, regardless of how they felt about the monarchy as an institution. I think there was just something about her, perhaps, that kind of transcended all those things. But yeah. uh, whether that will continue to her successor remains to be seen. Uh, I suspect not, but uh, <laughs> we shall see. Um, well, <laughs> how do you even... on, on King Charles the <laughs> Third? Yes, that's that's it. That's and it. Next Tune in next week. <laughs> yeah, fantastic, <laughs> amazing, amazing. Um, right. Well, what else should we talk about? We should talk about what. I mean, have you been watching anything else? Has there been anything else to watch? Tell us. Uh, I've actually watched loads. Well, obviously as well. I wasn't here last week. Thanks. Thanks for. Thanks for missing me, guys. Um, <laughs> I. I was, of course. Uh, trying not to throw up on um, the boats of Venice for the the film festival, which is oh, very yeah, nice. Tough. Yeah, it was it was actually horrible. I was saying since I came, back, I mean it wasn't horrible. I'm being dramatic, but I um, was describing to the team earlier this week. I've had a really bad case of where you're out on the water so much. Like I've like continued to have motion sickness this week, and it's like having been. Liza Minnelli in um, Arrested Development. Like I keep having to like grab surfaces and things because uh, <laughs> I'm still feeling a little bit wobbly. Um, but yes, yeah, so I've had a few a few weeks to to just watch stuff, which has been really nice. And I've got to say, I know Boyd's already spoken about this, and it's brilliant. But um, I absolutely binged the hell out of the resort this week. I absolutely loved it. It was. We didn't get a chance to talk about it on here, did we? Or if, if you did, I wasn't here. Not, not um, properly, no. No. Um, and I didn't realise as well, so it's partly directed and um, co-stars Ben Sinclair, who co-created one of my favourite shows of all time, High Maintenance. Um, and he's just like, I think he's such a wonderful collaborator with the, the creator um, but it's just wonderful, absolutely brilliant performances, brilliant cast, a really like affirming, heartwarming story that's also got mystery, but it's it's got so much else to it that it's sets it apart from just about every other bloody mystery television show out there at the moment and film. Um so there's just like enough stuff to make it really engaging. All the characters are really exciting and interesting and fully formed. And oh, I just loved it. I thought it was just it was just brilliant. I couldn't get through it quick enough. And then I was so sad that I didn't have any more to watch. So I really, really loved the resort. Great music as well. There's a great David Byrne, Brian Eno song in the first episode, which always always sweetens the deal. Um, what else have I watched? Oh. 
Oh, I'll tell you what. <laughs> I'll tell you what I've started. So I always have, I think Terry said she used to have this with friends, where there's a, a, a lull at the end of the evening, just before you're supposed to go to bed, and you just need something absolutely low stakes, just like not very much going on, but it's just a nice show. You just need a nice show to stop you from worrying about money or death or all the things that come like creeping in before you go to bed you need just something to like mellow you up before you go to sleep and i've started watching grace and frankie and i love i love it i love it so much it's like if the gilmore girls were the same age and that age was 70 years old um they're just brilliant and i love i love both lily tomlinson and jane fonda in it it's brilliant and i'm storming through that at the moment Mm. I mean, Terra's equivalent of cosy, you know, late night viewing is is um, Law and Order SVU. Yeah, so it's not really <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so she's not really one to, to, to go by. <laughs> yeah, Does but I, yeah, really? I really like Grace and Frankie when it first arrived. There's seven series of it, aren't there? I think. Yeah, like love it. Yeah, that's me sort of for the rest so, of the year now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I remember really liking it um, the first couple of seasons. Then I just kind of it just one of those things where I yeah I didn't keep up with it. But yeah, I might I might return to that. Fantastic, incredible nice. cast. It's like taking your brain out and just putting it in like a mm. nice warm bar before bedtime. And then you're just like, ah, and then you're asleep. So that is yeah. um, <laughs> that is my yeah. nighttime recommendation. Like the like telly equivalent of like Bovril or whatever before bed. It's just yeah. very it's nice. Bovril before bed. I don't know. Grace and Frankie probably. <laughs> Oh, I can't talk it's because I used thing, to actually it? have hot bovril as a child, but I recently switched to hot marmite, which I can say is yeah, an improvement. Yeah, you, you're, mm, oh, you're so, you love, you love this. I horrible, love a bit of hot marmite. Hot umami in a cup. Isn't Horlicks the bedtime drink, isn't it? Oh, maybe it is. That's yeah, right. It's Horlicks yeah. like malted stuff, isn't it? It's like yeah, malt. It's like, but it's malted slightly sweet. Um, mm. Yeah, bovril's like yeah. a meaty one, isn't it? Bovril's, bovril's yeah, bovril's yeah. beef bovril's extract. Like hot, yeah, hot it's liquid hot cow. beef. <laughs> it's hot liquid cow, which is what upsets me about it. I used to have it as a kid. My mum used to give me hot bovril with a little bit of pepper in it when I was a child. When I wasn't very well, oh my and so God. yeah, and I used to have that. And so, I, and then when I realised it was basically cow soup, I was like, "Fuck this! I'm not having that." So that's why now, yeah. now I would have hot marmite, which tastes basically the same. So yeah. I have finished the capture. Which um, I think the final episode goes out on Monday today, yep. as this if this podcast comes out on Monday, um, and I have to say that I mean I loved it all the way through, despite the fact that it absolutely hovers on the edge of being completely ridiculous. Um, <laughs> yes, it does. They 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 um, do this really clever thing where. You know how in Jaws, famously, he, he didn't show you the shark until very quite late on, or as little as the yeah. shark as he could. Um, well, in, in the capture, he, they don't show you how they achieve the deep fake thing they do, particularly with the MP guy, with Papa Siedu's character, until right towards the end. They kind of then show you how they do it. And it's quite clever because by that point, you've kind of gone along with the whole idea that this would somehow work. <laughs> And there's an amazing scene in the finale, which is like, you know, you were like Ben Shannon, who he came to our, did a Q&A, came to our Pilot 200 thing, was he's a lovely guy, he's brilliant. Like he was saying, it's just not, it's just about away from sci-fi, you know, in terms of could yeah. this actually be done now? Do we have the tech to do this? And you see this this scene, I won't go into it, to, I won't spoil it, but you're like, oh, this is, this is must be to be into sci-fi now. They couldn't really do this, but they, he, he brilliantly puts it together so that you just about buy it. And 
the final the final scene i was a bit worried as it was going along the final episode particularly because there's a massive shift by the way in episode five in the penultimate episode, there's a kind of massive rug pull thing I won't say more than that, that I thought was fantastic because it suddenly becomes much more political, I think, the whole the whole storyline. Even though it's been even though it's set in the world of politics, obviously mm. with, with Papa Asilia's character, it becomes more and more actually saying something or probing something really interesting, really something really quite controversial about politics in this day and age. I won't say any more. But then in the finale, halfway through the finale, I was like, have they kind of wrapped it up and you know, I think I thought this about the original series as well, and I was like, oh, and it's going to wind its way to a fairly predictable conclusion. But then he does a brilliant final scene um, in Piccadilly Circus, is all I'd say, and it's it's fantastic. So I thought he really stuck the landing, I have to say. So all one of my favourite series of the year, the capture, enormous fun, just so much incident, yeah, um, cracking pace, brilliantly filmed. You know, it, if it was American. We'd all be going on about how oh, everyone would be watching it. it. I mean, Absolutely, everyone. Would yeah, be watching everyone would be watching it. it. Mm. I mean, fun, mm. probably, of course, more people are actually watching it than will watch anything on Netflix, but we'll never know. And so there's <laughs> that, the capture, total triumph. And last week I talked about um, Nathan Fielder's show, The Rehearsal. Um, which oh my BBC God, Two, I should have yeah. got in on this, bloody hell. Yes. Oh, there you go. Have you been watching it? Watching it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Well... That's ongoing still. You can watch that on iP- That's Sorry, that's on Sky Comedy, not BBC. So that's on Sky Comedy at the moment. You can watch it all on Sky slash now. Meanwhile, BBC Two has just started showing How To with John Wilson. Have you heard of this, Beth? Yeah, it's on my, yeah. it's on my watch list. I've heard yeah. incredible things. I saw Jamie Dimitrio said it. He said it was the best thing on iPlayer and then I had to post again saying, apart from my sister's sketching, which is also <laughs> on there. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. It's, it's very tippy-top of my to watch. Yeah, so How how To with John Wilson is is um, exec- produced by Nathan Fielder and it's quite a similar kind of thing. There's a, there's a whole new genre now of these kind of shows which are like comedy documentary things which are quite difficult to um to categorize and quite difficult to actually describe and get a handle on you have to see them like with the thing about the rehearsal with nathan fielder is you have to watch it to understand what the fuck is interesting about it and unique about it um another thing was the same for nathan for you which was his massive hit on, on, in, on comedy central america this which bbc2 is now showing on sunday evenings is John Wilson is an American guy who's a bit like every everyone says this. So this is not an original thought. He's a bit like an American Louis Theroux, but different. But in the sense that he's got quite a, a unique, slightly grating delivery style of delivery that would be very easy to impersonate, like a kind of unique way of speaking. He's behind the camera, and you don't see him all that much. You kind of see him hovering at the edge of the frame mostly. But the idea of it is, how to John Wilson, is that he explores how to do things, but all kinds of things in life. So he, he, he talks about how to make small talk is the first episode, how to put up scaffolding, how to improve your memory, etc. But really, that is the very loose starting off point to explore things on his mind, in his life, that he kind of alludes to. He meets someone in the first episode who he has more to, with, who turns out to have his own vigilante, anti-child molester thing that he does. And he goes with him to, to see what this entails. So it's kind of uncategorizable, but it is funny. It's, 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 even, it's, it's kind of more obviously trying to be funny than the rehearsal in a way, but it's in a similar world. It's in a similar type of show. Again, quite excruciating to watch occasionally. Again, James probably won't be able to deal with it from that point of view. <laughs> but 
It's a really interesting series. And we're already on, like, this started in 2020 on HBO. Um, So BBC Two, I think, has got two seasons to get through, 12 episodes. But it's well worth checking out. Uh, How to with John Wilson. Not to be confused with Radio 4's John Wilson, who's a lovely guy and is the son of Arsenal goalkeeping legend Bob Wilson. Thank you, Boyd, for that little addendum. Mm. Is that it? Are you done? Is that nothing? Yes, that's it. Done. Absolutely nothing. I've not watched anything at all. In my defence, I've been on holiday and I was trying to take a break from the TV. This is this is when I was not watching shows for this very podcast last week. But other than that, I stopped because you know I was doing stuff. Like I went to obviously I went to, to. I went to Florida, but I also went to to Disneyland Paris and went to the Avengers Campus, the new sort of Avengers theme part of that. And I stayed in, you'd love this, Boyd, there's a New York hotel, the New York Art of Marvel Hotel, which is where I stayed in Paris. And it's all, it's like a big, like a big New York hotel, but it's all Marvel themed. So they have like uh, like jazzy versions of the various Marvel themes playing in the lobby and stuff like that. And then there's just Marvel art everywhere. So in my room, I had this huge painting of Spider-Man on one wall, huge painting of Spider-Gwen on another wall. And it was fabulous. And frankly it was amazing so if you ever do go to disneyland stay at the art of marvel hotel because it's fantastic uh so I, I did that and and i tried not to to watch things even on the plane back i didn't watch anything i watched one episode of the capture so i've nearly finished but that was it so i've nothing to share at all god absolute disgrace sorry yeah. i've got absolutely nothing for you okay well that is what i guess you've been watching not what i've been watching but uh, we should move on to now what was the listener question? What is now the Pilot TV post bag? But just to confuse matters, before we get onto the post bag part of it, there was an outstanding question, uh, which we kind of do need to tackle. So Annika Ruff did point out that we said we were going to answer this, and we didn't answer it. And she was like, guys, guys, come on. You said you were going to do it. Please do it. And it was the one where <laughs> she was saying that she wanted us, for her mum, to curate something from each of the streaming services for her mum to watch. So you can have one Aww. show from each streaming services <laughs> service for Annika's mum. All right, oh, well, God. can you can we start by naming the streaming services? Because there's about 45 at this stage. Well, yeah. so what start we say? with each one. Annika, I feel your mum would benefit from watching Apple C. And let me tell you what, no, I'm not going to. <laughs> uh, what, so, okay, let's start with Apple, though. Like, What would you pick from Apple? If For Annika's mum, what would you pick for Apple? I would pick the after party because it's a picnic basket of genres and it's got a really fun whodunit storyline and great comedy characters and oh, it's one of my favourites of the year and it's short episodes so you can get through them quickly. Um, so that would be mine. And then, and then you can tell your mum to go and listen to my interview with Tiffany Haddish that we I did mean, for the after party. Yeah, hundred percent. It's uh, worth it for that. Was one of the highlights of my life, and I hope hers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to gear it towards the cliched idea of a mum, I guess. So, well, okay, uh, okay. Maybe you know. we're getting too hung up. But I think yeah. because given that she she picked trying for her mum from Apple, so uh, you know, uh, if that gives you any help. I mean, that's. But that's that's China's a lovely show. I would, I think maybe I'd go for Surface because Surface is a romp of a thriller. A romp, the one with Goo Goo and a Bath ridiculous and romp, of, a ridiculous romp. But it's massively entertaining from start to finish. Um, very slick, beautiful interiors. Um, I mean, so even if even if you don't give a shit about the storyline, then just wallow in the massive mansion house in San Francisco where it's set and the other beach house she's got an hour down the road and the huge modernist house where another character lives. So, yeah, purely for interiors, um, surface works, but it's also very entertaining as well. So I'd go for that, I think. 
Okay. Obviously, my pick is C, naturally. But for if I were picking for a third party, let's say it's not just Annika's Month. We're picking, if we were curating for someone who just wanted one show from each streaming service. Uh, I mean, Morning Show, maybe? There's quite a lot on Apple. Apple's a very difficult one. Foundation's obviously a very specific taste for people. For all mankind, yeah, no. I can't really comment on. <laughs> At the moment, though, I guess it's Bad Sisters on Apple, isn't it? That's the one that everyone's currently watching and talking about. So, Yeah, I guess my, my warning with Bad Sisters is quite near the knuckle. Quite, you know, I wouldn't, <laughs> I, I wouldn't watch it with the entire... You wouldn't gather the family to watch it. I mean, you know, yeah. they, there's, there's comp this and comp that throughout. So I'm just saying, just saying. That's yeah. all good show should, Boyd. <laughs> yes. uh, okay, right. Netflix. I think I might go for The Queen's Gambit. Because really? it's a yeah limited so, series. So just to be clear, you've gone for so you've not gone. What's your favorite show on Netflix? Because obviously no, that's the yeah. A. I'm answering but the you're question thinking, properly. You're answering the question properly, right? I understand. So you've gone Queen's Gambit. Okay, okay. I think Annika's mum would enjoy The Witcher. And oh, um, it. <laughs> I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? It is uh, difficult. Yes. Um, I don't know. Like maybe like I probably push something ridiculous, like behind her eyes. You know, like something just oh, mental. Yeah. Yeah, because it's trashy. Yeah. It's fun. I think she'd have an absolute blast. Uh, yeah. That I think that's my pick. Yeah, that's not the cool, best yeah. show, but to answer yeah. the question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, does it have to be a Netflix original, she says, stalling for time? Um, as, as Beth Googles, what shows are on Netflix? <laughs> I mean, Googling best Netflix shows, yeah. my mind is going completely blank. <laughs> oh, maybe, maybe the, um, oh, what's the really scary one? What, Midnight um, Mass? Midnight Mass, why not? Why not? Yeah. Atticus Mum yeah. would like Midnight Mass. Excellent. Failing that, Vikings Valhalla. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, what else have we got? Let's do right. Let's do a Disney Plus. Give us a Disney Plus. Ooh. Oh, no. oh no! I was gonna, I was gonna do anywhere just in the building, but I think that's too similar to the after party. So I need to think of another one. She says again. Oh, I'm definitely right. doing only murders in the building. I mean, all right. Well, yeah, you do that one. Hundred percent. Two hundred percent. Uh, I will say, try Miss Marvel. If it's not too, it does skew a little bit young, but it is a lovely. There's some lovely like mother daughter stuff in there that's really wonderful. So yeah, I'd say if you can, if you could put up with all the wacky graphics, unless you're a fan of the wacky graphics, um, Miss Marvel is a really lovely, um, kind of intergenerational superhero show. I think that's I fair. Think it would be a yeah. I think if I had to pick one that was on there, it'd probably be High Fidelity, actually, uh, Ooh, in general. that's a good one. That's maybe the one that I would recommend on Disney+. Plus. Uh, yeah. Because obviously the Marvel and the Star Wars stuff it requires a certain sensibility, which Annika's mum may or may not have. <laughs> I don't wish to, you know, make judgments on that. Um, let's not go through every single streaming service, but okay, uh, <laughs> Prime Video, we can do that one. Maisel, the Expanse, please. excellent. Next. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ms. Maisel, glamour, high budget, high production value, whip smart performances. Lovely. Yeah, that that is the answer, really. Okay. Um, okay. I loved Homecoming. I loved the first, the first series, the Julia Roberts um, show on Prime on on, on Amazon Prime. I'm really good. Homecoming, like quite mm. um, not wildly overlooked, widely overlooked. Yeah. Yeah. That is a good one. I, I must admit, I still haven't caught up with that. I've been meaning to, but I haven't. And then uh, I know there are other streaming services, but let's cap it off with a Now TV choice. Uh, let's say... 
succession. If if she's if a her, solid if choice. Her blood, if her blood pressure is is all right, if she can, you know, I would say succession. Although it is incredibly stressful. Maybe if I could curate it even further, I would say to to follow up succession with a maze or with something a little bit more calming i would say just to finish finish you off there a nice tonic after you watch that i might go with mayor of east town to be honest for oh, this yeah. one. and not yeah. just that's because of my one. succession aversion but i think annika's mum would prefer that one i think yeah i think that's a good call i'm gonna go with the night of which oh, is that, well i mean that's the that's the answer to yeah. most questions isn't it boy it is it <laughs> is <laughs> It I'm amazed the... you didn't suggest. I mean, you are taking this seriously because you've not said um, the OA yeah. for no, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right. I, 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 yeah, I'm always I'm always careful about recommending the OA because it's because it's well, it's yeah, yeah it's, not it's, it's a very much a Marmite kind of show, isn't it? Like yeah. people either yeah. get in, on board with yeah. it or they don't. But okay, yeah, right, well, Annika, I hope that helps you and your mum. But let's go through the post bag ever so quickly. So some questions, some comments. Uh, you'll notice, Boydie, we had a thing. Someone jumped on Twitter. I have forgotten your name. I apologise because it's in a conversation which has now been lost to my timeline. Uh, demanding that we review the Kardashians on the show yeah. Uh, yeah. after Kay suggested it. That's never going to happen. I don't know what well, to tell you. <laughs> well, I have been discussing this with Kay in the week um, because um, it's Kardashian's new series starts soon and um, she's determined to force you to review it so I just have to so it may happen because I, I'm yeah. prepared to accept a challenge whereby I'm forced to watch it in exchange for making her watch something of mine I'm prepared to do that I'm not prepared to review it properly I'm prepared to react to it in a comedy way yeah are you watching it is enough you watching That's it enough. is enough right so yeah. Jen on Instagram has said uh, said I have to comment and say James is so right all messages should start that way uh, about ah. most reality shows being trash especially the Kardashians I'd much rather him be forced to watch a good episode of Doctor Who that he would likely enjoy. I think we've tried that before. Like I watched a couple of episodes of Doctor Who. I watched the one with the Weeping Angels, which was good. I enjoyed that, but that wasn't that wasn't like a pr- quote unquote proper episode. And then I watched the one where Peter Capaldi gets stuck in a tower and didn't know what the fuck was going on. So that was very very weird. But I still I still don't think I've I've quite got on board with Doctor Who. Uh, let's see what else we got. Kyle Buxton on Instagram says, "Can we address what Rotten Tomatoes did regarding user reviews being disabled for Lord of the Rings?" Totally agree with Rotten Tomatoes actions and think that people should stop insisting on whitewashing fantasy i think the different ethnicities in the show is a great thing and racism should be weeded out i don't think anyone's necessarily going to argue with that point but it was an interesting one wasn't it that they did lock all the reviews of that show um i mean did, did you see anything was it all i mean i think just based on and i i am trying to kind of minimize my interaction with social media for reasons exactly like this i've tried to kind of avoid it because I've seen some of the reactions we've had even when we covered Lord of the Rings in the magazine and and what's kind of come out from that. So I think anything to kind of stymie those pretty baseless uh, criticisms of the show that aren't really to do with the show is, uh, yeah, probably the the right foot forward. I mean, obviously it's, it's case by case. I wouldn't say that this is a blanket rule for everything, but I think in this particular case, no one needs to see that. So, fair play to them. Yeah, I think it was a reaction. Is there, you know, the, I was slightly worried with these things. It's all about, in quotes, diverse casting and um, representative casting, whichever, whatever you want to call it. And whenever a big fantasy show arrives with any characters who are not white middle-aged men that some <laughs> fuckwit on social media complains about it. And I, want, and I slightly worry that we're amplifying 
what might be a tiny, tiny faction. Oh, it clearly is a tiny faction. Of deliberately, yes. yeah. you know, also people deliberately um, wanting the attention and getting it, you know, when when a lot of people respond. I mean, I noticed Neil Gaiman this week has been fighting the good fight, and good for him, arguing with people about the stupidity of them complaining about Lenny Henry basically being in Lord of the Rings, which is obviously absolute moronic viewpoint to take. So I kind of admire people who engage with these idiots. Um, but at the same time, I wonder how many of those idiots they are really. But but yeah, that's why they did what they did. And fair enough. To, I mean, no, no one needs to read that bullshit. Fair enough. Uh, Jonathan Spears wrote in to say he wanted to write in rather discussion of House of the Dragon being lazy with the theme tune. He said he disagrees because he was he thought it was very comforting having that familiar theme tune and the style of titles. He says it's such an iconic tune that it instantly gives the new time hopping smaller scale show that Game of Thrones magic is an approach that has ensured the different iterations of Doctor Who are given a familiar sense of continuation. Uh, what do you think? Do you think it was a good decision? Do you think it was laziness? Do you think it was hackery of the highest order? Not that I'm biased in any way. I can see why they did it. I, uh, yeah, the thing is, it really underlines, it just makes you think. My, the message it sends out for me is, which I think we said when we reviewed it, is that this is just a new series of Game of Thrones rather than in any way a different thing. I mean, Doctor Who, yeah, the brilliant Doctor Who theme endures series of series but it's still this a different it, that's just a different main character version of the main character of doctor who that changes from, from, mm. from series to series it's not supposed to be you know it's not a prequel or a sequel or a totally different um thing so but i don't mind it i'm i'm, I, I'm not that bothered about it i must make clear <laughs> and um i'm more to be honest i'm slightly more disappointed at the lack of title sequence that irritates me more because they could have done an equivalent, couldn't they? Title sequence a bit like what they did with Game of Thrones. Okay, so I read a thing on the title sequence, and I oh, have okay. it's it clearly apes the original Game of Thrones title sequence. But so it's it's like a that's a structure in Old Valyria, and it's showing sort of the doom of Valyria, and it's showing the fall of the various branches of the Targaryen family. So actually, apparently, there's a lot going on in terms of backstory and history in that title sequence. Fucked if I understand what all that stuff is, but apparently, from what I was reading, it's actually quite involved, oh. and the way the blood flows and the the no the nodes that the blood goes to in particular order is actually relevant and has meaning. So I think there's a lot of subtext oh. in that title sequence, much more than we gave it credit for. Oh, I see. I barely even considered it a title sequence. It goes on for about 10 seconds. So oh, I no, hang thought, on. Well, Which bit? Not- I, I, are you, are you thinking, oh. bear in mind that it only started from episode two, the proper title sequence. So, oh, okay. which is the one where you see the castle and you see all the blood running in rivulets to the various, oh, sort of, and right. it lights up, and then it moves on to the okay, next one with a different house's yeah. sort of logo on it. So there's, oh, there is a lot going on, but I think it's all very meta. So I think you have to you have to be quite au fait with Targaryen family history to understand it all. I am not, sadly, so I don't get it. But I want to read more about that. So you read up on that sort of thing. There is an article. Can't remember where it is. I know that isn't very helpful, but there is an article out there which explains a lot of it, which is quite interesting. Uh, we've probably got time for one more. I'll save the rest of them for next week. But this one comes from Gillian Simpson, and she says, do you have any strange rituals when you sit down to watch certain things? For instance, when I watch the Oscars, I always have to have Dairy Lee sandwiches and Jaffa Cakes. Gillian, that's a very odd combination. Uh, <laughs> so there you go. Do either of you have Dairy Lee sandwiches and Jaffa Cakes when watching something in particular? That one has caught me slightly off guard because it's so specific. 
Well, uh, okay, I, okay. If you while you're thinking, while you're thinking, I will tell you that I have a film blanket. I have a purple film blanket. It's purple because it was sent to me by Now TV many years ago, and that was their branding back when they were Now TV. And uh, I, um, I, I, I tend to when it gets cold, I, I put the little blanket over me like an old nana. <gasps> I wrap myself in my purple film blanket, uh, and I like a nice cup of tea and some ginger biscuits, mm. stem ginger biscuits. If I'm feeling super posh from Marks and Spencer, and I like and I dip my stem ginger biscuits in my tea while I'm watching a show that I really like. But back when The West Wing was first airing, way, way, way back when, when it first aired, my ritual of watching that was to have, and this is absolutely true, Gino Ginelli toffee fudge ice cream. And I would eat that while watching it. And that was my West Wing ritual. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Incredible. Um, I like a good sandwich um, when I'm watching TV. I have, sometimes I have cream cheese and cucumber sandwiches. I'll have you know. The queen would have approved. Yeah, I think so. Quite regal. Quite regal. Um, I like a peanut butter very much. Yeah. I'm more of a Marmite man myself. No, I can't. I can't stand Marmite. <laughs> um, I, I hear that's quite a popular opinion. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but those are probably my main ones. Yeah. And sometimes I go for the the classic American peanut butter and jelly, which is Ugh. their word for jam. Yeah, I've that's I have done grim. dabbled with that peanut butter and blackberry jam, which is quite a Ooh. rare jam. Yeah, can be quite fantastic. My God. Beth just like, I just sling on the telly. But then having said that, it's quite normal for you to have a telly, Beth. So, you know, well, exactly. beforehand, just, it was just, you know. I'm just grateful to be there, to be honest. I'm just grateful to, yeah. have, to have a big screen. But if we're just going into snacks, I mean, I, lo- I love a sour cream pretzel. Um, stuff that, because that's the thing, isn't it? It's stuff that you couldn't take into a cinema with you, but you could eat in the comfort of your own home. So it is the crunchy snack. It is the rustling. It is, you know, all of that really. Um, yeah, I'm quite boring. As I say, I just, I, I'm just grateful to have access to, to a fully fledged television, to be honest. Um, so I'll just, I'll just make do with that. But I'm very here for the weirdness of the Jaffa Cakes and the Dairy D. It's I very wonder, specific, do you eat, isn't it? Yeah, I love it. Do you eat the Dairy D sandwiches first or do you eat the Jaffa Cakes first? You know, do you even like switch it around? Because I feel like all logic's gone out the window here anyway. So do you have a bite of a Jaffa cake and a bite of mm, a Dairy Lee? Mm. Or like, I'm just, I'm just very interested by this. You know what? It's, it's rather got me, um, I would like to go, I haven't tried a Dairy Lee for years. I can't remember the lot. And I used to love Dairy Lee. So I'm, mm. I'm, I might actually try the Dairy Lee. Did you used to, did you used to open the Dairy Lee properly, the triangle and peel, peel the stuff out and eat it, like bite out of it? Or did you tear a little hole in it with teeth and squeeze it out like toothpaste? No, like anything that shouldn't be liquefied and squirted out of things shouldn't be liquefied and squirted exactly. out of things. Exactly, you no. absolute monster. No. Or it's just like thick milk. That's disgusting. Yeah. That's Horrendous. horrible. <laughs> right. Well, on that note, I believe we have dealt with the Pilot TV Post bag for this week. If you have any thoughts, comments, questions, interjections, complaints, whatever you like, please just send them to us at Pilot TV Pod on Twitter or Instagram via direct message. Right. Let's move on now, I think, to this week's guest. You will, of course, know Ophelia Loverbond as Erica in Trying, as Binky in Feel Good, or perhaps as Karina in Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, this week, however, she plays Joyce in Minx on Paramount Plus, a young woman who attempts to set up the first erotic magazine for women. Uh, you'll also see her in Kenneth Branagh's the upcoming This England as former number 10 resident Carrie Simmons. Uh, she stopped by the pod very recently and spoke to Boyd. Welcome, Ophelia Loverbond, to the Pilot TV podcast. Um, First of all, Minx. I mean, you've got two 
startlingly interesting projects arriving within a few days of each other. Startlingly, um, I like that. Yeah, how about that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but Minx, what a role this is, um, Joyce in Minx. When you first, presumably, you sent a script and you read it and you thought, yeah, this is a, a character and a setting and a whole world that I'm interested in. What, what was your reaction to the whole the whole idea of it? I mean, it was instantly appealing because <laughs> it's, you know, just it being set in the 1970s and playing such, a, you know, a feminist and it being a comedy it was, I mean, it, t- it ticked a lot of boxes right off the bat. Um, and I, j- I just knew I, I, I just had an in, in, like an immediate affinity with that character mm. and couldn't wait to read for it. I couldn't wait to get in the room and, you know, play around with sort of my interpretation of it. It was, it was incredibly exciting in the run up to it, yes. Yeah, because she's. You're right. I haven't really seen anything like this. Certainly not on TV before. It has kind of echoes of Boogie Nights and that kind of world, doesn't it? A bit, but for a TV show, and it's more overtly comedic. It feels like tonally, it feels quite unique. I think so. I mean, I yeah, I feel that it's. I've not seen anything like it before. Um, I've not. I'd certainly not read anything like it. It's the tone that it strikes. I think is really clever because it is funny, but it does also give food for thought in a way that it's quite palatable and it's I just think to the way Ellen Rappaport the creator has gone about it it's it's very it's quite nuanced even though it's a comedy there's definitely there's space in there for you to think about the points it's kind of gently making um and I feel like there was real space for it I feel like it's come along at just the right moment uh the people will be I feel in quite a receptive mood for this kind of show Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you know much about this whole, because obviously this, it's slightly based on, I mean, there have been actual female oriented magazines <laughs> featuring nude men. They did, <laughs> that did happen in the seventies. So did you, did you know all about that generally, or did you have to research? Did you want to research and look into the reality behind this <laughs> show? <laughs> I was very happy to do that. Research. <laughs> um I, I mean, of course, yeah, I was aware that those that magazines existed and everything, but it's it hadn't been uh, it wasn't a magazine I have a subscription to. But the um, Ellen did send me <laughs> quite a lot of uh, Playgirl magazines and kind of said, please don't report me to HR. Um, and I bought, you know, I bought lots of Ms. magazines on eBay and found that it was really helpful to see layout to see what inspired Ellen's the idea behind the show that seeing the magazines which would feature articles about safe and legal access to abortion or equal pay or how to deal with sexual harassment at work and then you'd turn the page and there'd be a naked man with tan lines spread across a mercedes-benz and it was it was really interesting to see that magazine at, at play and to understand the thought process behind producing it and then of course to play someone who initially wants to set up probably something like spare rib and has to kind of make these uh, compromises in order to get her material out there so it was I yeah enjoyed researching all about it I mean there was a lot of research as well involved in thinking about Joyce's background and where she'd grown up and you know the in the first episode she mentions going to Vassar so I kind of did lots of research about girls that went to Vassar and what that comment meant and um, what it would have been like growing up in Pasadena in the 60s and so it was I loved researching it. I really got deep into it. I mean, even 
she talks about a mimeograph machine at one point. So I decided to start Googling mimeographs and tried to order some of the ink on eBay to smell what it would wow. be like because she talks about the smell. But I was like, that's going a bit far. I think don't think I could have quite down that rabbit hole. Yeah. Oh, and there were some other objects as well, which we, which, uh, which, she, <laughs> which she, <laughs> she didn't necessarily need to get hold of, so to speak. No, um, my eBay history didn't go that Right. Far. Good, good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it is interesting, though, isn't it, to watch this show and still, even now in 2022, it's relatively rare to see male nudity on TV as opposed to female nudity. It's getting better. I think there is definitely more of it. But what was it like to be in the middle of? that of, of doing a show where in you know in certain scenes because that's the whole story there are naked men i've the imbalance in that representation has always struck me as problematic i mean particularly because more women uh watch television than men i, I, I according to some recent um polls um but the, i just mean that in touch we're talking about the female gaze it's interesting that it's not been, um, I don't know, provided for. Yeah. I mean, I'm always speaking, that's quite heteronormative, but I just mean being on a set where that was happening, I just thought, well, about time. I don't understand why this hasn't happened before. It's, there's, it, it, the fact that it's been so remarkable, the fact that it is something that, that people talk about and ask us about is in itself quite indicative of how unusual it is and exposes therein the the it's it's lack <laughs> of, of existing before this so it's been i'm glad i mean it's it's also it's a fun show and i think it's it's very kind of body positive and sex positive and it's showing that women are as sexual beings as well and the idea that that's not really been represented has been um you know a, mis- a mistake i suppose um or just a, it's been massively overlooked i mean i suppose possibly it's because there's been historically far more men producing these kinds of shows. I don't, historically, that, that might be part of it. But I mean, yeah, that's a bigger conversation, I suppose. But no, being part of it, I was like, yeah, hell yeah. This is great. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was glad to be part of a show that was correcting that imbalance. Yeah, yeah. And did I guess the atmosphere, was the atmosphere on set, did it have to be fun in order to make everyone, you know, comfortable with, you know, <laughs> you know some with what they had to do, if you like? Well, I mean, first and foremost, everyone's safety and comfort is that's paramount. So we'd always have a intimacy coordinator on set. Everyone so to make sure that everyone felt comfortable. I mean, obviously, even people who weren't denuding themselves, they would that you'd also feel comfortable being around that. But I mean, it was it was a really fun environment. No, it was you know it was very professional. There was no kind of giggling. There was no nothing like that. It was completely. It was just so important that we all supported each other and made everyone feel really safe. And I can't really put that strongly enough. It's we are on a we are on a TV set, you know, telling a story that is a comedy, but there's still going to be someone walking around naked. So you, and that there's nothing wrong with nudity, but it it feels a bit weird when there's you know sickly people looking at you. Um, so no, it's very it's very professional, but very. Um, kind of at ease as well mm, mm. we're all very supportive of one another oh I'm sure, i bet yeah and were there were there any scenes when you were reading the scripts um where you well, for scenes involving you in particular where you thought oh okay i'm gonna i'm gonna have to get myself i'm gonna have to get ready for this or you, you slightly you know dread it Do you know i don't know what i don't know what it says about me but there was, there's a scene where joyce has a sort of 
well, a, a kind of a bit of a fling with um, a fireman, firefighter. And um, he goes down on her and starts performing all the sets. And I was just like, oh, yeah, we never see that on telly. It's always the other way around. Brilliant. And then I just, I wasn't, obviously it's not real. You're not actually doing it. So people have asked me about this and go, oh, my God, how should he feel? That must have been so strange. I thought, I'm only pretending. <laughs> it's yes. fine. Yes. I just, I thought, I don't know what that says about me, but I was not remotely worried about it because I knew because of the intimacy coordinator, because of the sensitivity with how every single aspect of the show had been approached, I felt completely comfortable. I think that kind of speaks for itself. If perhaps this scene, I had read that scene in, in a show or, or a script, you know, even like five, six years ago, I think I would have been quite concerned. There would have been a bit of anxiety leading up to it, maybe possibly feeling I would be supported and you know, you would essentially have to kind of improvise those sorts of scenes once upon a time. But now, because everything is so carefully, um, mechanic, not mechanically, but it's so choreographed that at no point would you feel in danger. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I, the fact that I kind of was so comfortable at it kind of was spoke, it was spoke volumes really about right. the kind of leaps and bounds we've made in um, looking after people on set when there's scenes of intimacy. Yeah, absolutely. And on on a kind of there's also incredible the seventies um, accuracy. I mean, it feels it just feels like it's created this whole world of the seventies. What's it like? You know, literally being transporting yourself back in time to that period when you were on on. You know, maybe it was all done in CGI. I don't know, but it feels like the sets yeah. and the whole you know the decoration, everything feels very very seventies. It absolutely does. It it very it's so transportive. You you know you'd step onto each new set, you know, with your other cast members, and the kind of the oohs and ahs that would ripple across the cast, you know, and the crew. But it was so impressive. The 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 attention to detail. You know, you'd open a drawer and it would be filled with you know uh, period accurate timestamps and documents and magazines and even down to the kind of um, equipment that would be used to edit a magazine it was the kind of the ink and the, the photographs that were hanging up it was all so carefully curated and you would you'd step onto a set and you're seeing all of the background artists and the incredible costumes and the cars or these beautiful cars laid out down the street it really you really did feel like you were stepping into the 70s. Nothing kind of jarred and knocked you off course at any point. And, and, and it's already been um, renewed for second season by um, HBO Max. Congratulations. So is it, just, is it just brilliant to be part of a big, I mean, this feels like, even though it's a comedy, you know, it's a half-hour comedy effectively, but it, feel, it has that big budget feel to it. I'm not, you know, and it kind of, it feels like a big peak TV kind of show. Do you know what I mean? So is it, how does it feel to be part of that, a returning big ambitious show oh it feels like I, I loved being part of Minx I love playing Joyce Prigger and to know that we get to do it all again I just get to go back and work with I mean it sounds so gushy but really we were so lucky the cast we, we know none of us had ever worked together before and we gelled immediately so the prospect of getting to go back onto that set and work with them all again it's just such a lovely way to spend your day you know, just, you know, when coming down to brass tacks. But um, th- I also, in terms of the story, I feel like there's scope for so much more to be said. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, you know, you're not going back thinking, oh, what are we going to talk about? There's so much that we could play around with. Um, and it does feel like they've really invested in it. You know, it's really, 
it's it feels like a show that's been really there's a lot of belief in it Paul Feig has just been such a champion of it and he's a, a really just such a strong supporter of the show and of Ellen and I, I love working with, with them I do, feel very, I do feel very lucky how was the day, talking of a working day how was the working day when you're playing um, a real person opposite <laughs> a man playing I mean a legend playing Boris Johnson I mean that just whole that this whole project did you feel did you have any qualms about the whole idea of it in a way of like you know playing such a, a, a recreating recent history in this way I didn't have any qualms, but I certainly was aware of a sense of responsibility in, I mean, telling a kind of piece of history that's still unfurling around us. I mean, it was very, it was a very different prospect. I mean, you know, I was filming Minx when I was offered the role of Mm. Carrie Simons as she was then. And I just thought, God, this is going to be quite a different project. (laughs) Yes. Um, But I did... There was a, there was an immediate sense of yes yeah, responsibility and thinking I wanted to do, get as, do as much research as possible very different kinds of research and speak to as many get as much reliable information as possible to make my portrayal of Carrie as accurate as I could because obviously you know I don't know her we don't know her we 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 have we're fed certain information by the media we don't it, that's a very different story to what she's actually like so. Mm. Yeah, I didn't have any qualms, but there was certainly a sense of wanting to be as accurate as I could be. Um, and yes, working with Ken, blindly, that I just thought, right, I've got a, an A game here. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like? What was it like? Because obviously, when it was announced that Kenneth Branagh was playing playing Boris Johnson, I was like, oh, okay. But what was it like when you first saw mm. him on set in the in his hole with all the makeup and the etc.? Really surreal because he not only looked like him with the prosthetics and the wig and everything, but his physicality was totally different. I mean, it really was like Boris Johnson was standing in front of him. In fact, the first time I hadn't met Ken, actually, the first time we actually were in the same room together, he, he, it was for rehearsals. So he was in full hair and makeup and prosthetics and I was the same. I was kind of had my baby bump and the wig on and everything. So we rehearsed sort of in character and it did take some getting used to it really was quite surreal because as you said before we're so there's such familiar figures and you know grace in the front pages of the newspapers all the time and then you there you are pretending to be them it sort of brought it home to roost that what we were doing what we were undertaking you know trying to um help make sense of a really confusing time through you know, drama. So it was the kind of, yeah, uh, the, the kind of, the, 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 I don't know, the weight of it, I suppose, was quite clear. And I was like, all oh, right, he really, this really, he really does look like Boris Johnson. This is going to be quite strange for viewers watching this because I think they will forget that that's Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, you absolutely do. Yeah, completely. It's, it's, it's incredible. And I know that it was, Michael, so Michael, I'm a big fan of Michael Winterbottom in general, but I know he, you know, he he co-created it and directed as much of it as he could, didn't he? Um, mm. And I know that normally in his shows, he he kind of doesn't do the traditional, you know, rolling, and he, he kind of keeps the camera rolling, doesn't he? And he doesn't. He, he yeah. kind of has a very. Did he have, did he bring that to this product as well? Yes, which I found incredibly helpful because he would, um, you would, Ken and I would be in character. He, he doesn't really call action. He sort of um, 
calls your names, your character names. So you're sort of, you ease yourself into the scene as it were, and it makes it feel very naturalistic, which was just so helpful again, because this, I felt anyway, such an awareness that I was playing not only a real person, but a real person who was very much, you know, on people's lips. She was very much being spoken about. So the way that Michael worked, it kind of took your focus away from that and put it purely into the character because, you know, you are an actor performing a scene. It's, it, it, so you do have to try and bring as much truth as you can to the dialogue that you've learned from a script. It's not like I've picked up Carrie's diary. You know, so that he, so Michael doing that and then kind of letting the cameras continue to roll when he finished the kind of written dialogue, allowing the cameras to continue to roll, allowed again a kind of natural easing out of that scene. I mean, I don't know how much of that you when you're filming, you don't know how much of it or not Michael will use, but it certainly helps bring more authenticity, I suppose, mm. and more of a natural feeling to this to the uh, scene itself. It was interesting, actually. The, the only the only thing about that is you have to be absolutely certain of your facts because if you start improvising, you need to be very <laughs> oh, sure God. that you're not yeah. saying something that's factually inaccurate. I mean, I think I think there were a couple of occasions where I'm not sure who it was. Maybe it was Michael just called out. No, remember she was working at comms when that happened. Like, well, yeah, sorry, sorry, yep. Yeah. Maybe continue and correct, but just making sure that because obviously everything was so meticulously researched that you had to be very mindful of making sure if you're going to improvise, you didn't say the wrong thing. Yeah, it's a legal minefield, isn't it, this type of show? Yeah, yeah, yeah completely. Everything has to be double-checked, doesn't it? And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Are you ready? For th- th- I mean, I can't think of many TV um, projects that could potentially be as, I don't know, controversial. I'm not, it's, it's not really necessarily the right word, but certainly there's going to be a lot of attention on this on this series when it arrives because it's because it's trying to do something really rare, you know, portray very recent, politics and etc are you are you you know are you kind of ready for that that attention if you like for people to, or you know even the possibility that the real Carrie might you know might have something to say about it etc all of that all of the kind of interest you're going to get in the show I have thought about this I don't usually generally speaking when I've worked on something you know you, you want people to like it and you're curious to, to see how people respond to it with this show I really don't know how people are going to react to it. I just don't know because it's as it's so deeply emotional what we've all gone through. You know, maybe some people might feel they're not ready for it. Maybe some people will feel absolutely ready for it. I, I tr- again, when I was filming it, I tried to not think beyond what I was actually doing in the moment because I thought I need to play these scenes as they are written. Much as I was hyper aware that she's a real person, I, I couldn't keep thinking, oh, what will Carrie Simons think of this? What will the public think of this? Because then you're just not, you're not playing the character. It's almost like if you, like with any other part, if you were on stage and you started thinking about, oh, I have to make sure I go and get tomatoes from the supermarket. Like, you, you know, it's, you have to be so committed to what you're doing in that moment that so you don't temper it with what other people might think. Because I think that can start to, make it a bit mis- misshapen okay. I, yeah I, I certainly am aware that people that all eyes will be on this and I I'm curious to see how people respond to it um, the thing is that there's been lots of 
there's been so much um, I, I, about Carrie. There's been so much written about her that people I almost feel like are already in one camp or the other. So I, I wonder if they might continue in that vein watching it. I don't, maybe they've, they've kind of got these a priori ideas and they will just watch the show within that parameter. You know, do you know what, does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, absolutely. So, completely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think maybe people have already made their minds up yes. and they watch it through that lens. But um I honestly don't know how people are going to react. I'm, I'm as curious as you are. <laughs> mm. Well, but I do think it's done, a, it's done a very interesting job of kind of making at least that relationship feel real, you know, because I think you could it just is. regard, regard, yeah, Carrie and particularly Carrie as a one dimensional figure because from what we know, but yeah, it definitely feels like a, some, a real thing, which I think is maybe make, make people's, how people's politics, how they, how they view it completely, you know, it might change them or it might just give them a new, a new feeling about the whole situation. I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, these, I can't think of, congratulations on two kind of extraordinary oh, projects, you. really. Because I can't think of two more interesting TV shows to it's, talk about. I mean, it, I write is the spice of life, certainly. And yeah. um, people always ask me, do you prefer drama or comedy? And I, I don't, I, I like doing all of it because it's more interesting. But this uh, happening, I mean, couldn't be, <laughs> couldn't illustrate that more. It's been, it's been interesting for me to sort of be across both of them at the same time, just uh, certainly itching different parts of your, your different facets. You know what I mean? Yeah, oh, 100%. Metals, you know? <laughs> completely. No, that makes absolute sense. Yeah, completely. <laughs> Um, thank you so much for talking to us today. Oh, thank, thank you. That was Ophelia Loverbond. And time now for this week's news. What's been happening in TV world? This, this was a funny news story. In, in you know, I, I'm collecting funny news stories about um, Lord of the Rings and that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Did you see the story that Elon Musk slammed the Rings of Power um, in the week? And obviously, he's got obviously in the in the world of billionaires of the richest people on the planet. Basically, yeah. there's ongoing beef between Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos of Amazon fame. And um, so this week, Elon Musk took to Twitter, as they say, to to slam um, the Lord of Rings, Rings of the Power, saying, and I quote: "Tolkien is turning in his grave. Almost every male character so far is a coward, a jerk, or both." Only Galadriel is brave, smart, and nice. Brilliant use of the word nice, by the way. Um, I mean, obviously it's bollocks because there are quite a few characters who are quite Elrond's nice. not a bellend. Many of the yeah. Harfoots are not right. bellends. Like, right. what is he talking about? I know. So it's literally a case of what is he talking about? But the fact that he's bothered, he's so bothered that he, he, he delivers his tweet from on high. And the funny thing is, he got obviously got Twitter backlash. So the aforementioned Neil Gaiman, who, by the way, is on Twitter a lot. I mean, he <laughs> loves it. I mean, fair enough to him. Good, good luck to him. Elon Musk doesn't come to me for advice on how to fail to buy Twitter, he said. And I don't go him for film, TV or literature criticism. A fair point. <laughs> a fair point. <laughs> Oh, it's all kicking off. It is all kicking off. Um, well, speaking of kicking off, and this links in something I completely forgot to mention in the what we're watching and something that I have... Oh, I'm going to stick with it, but I am I'm glacially revert ferreting on She-Hulk. Um, it's really lost me the last few episodes. And have you seen, speaking of Twitter backlash, people just absolutely furious that as part of um, an ongoing joke in the latest episode, they dropped two massive spoilers for The Sopranos. 
Um, that is actually but... true. <laughs> that is actually true. So you're not you're not you're not uh, eagerly anticipating the Madison spin-off show that we were all crying out for. Oh my god, with the why not where you think it is. I mean, she's really good fun. I'll get into it another time. Maybe I'll do like a post-mortem when we're we're out the other side, but it's it's quickly lost me and I feel quite betrayed. Uh and no more so. I mean, I'm glad I've rewatched the Sopranos recently, but I think it's spoiled. Sopranos for a lot of people. They dropped the two, probably the two biggest twists in the Sopranos. And if you know, like me and what I will eventually do with The Wire, where I'm saving it for retirement, if people are saving it for, you know, a time where they can sit down and watch it after all this time, I don't think anyone was switching onto She Hog to expect anything, by the way, of these two massive spoilers for the Sopranos. True. People are really mad. It is a 23 year old show. <laughs> Listen. Just, just putting that out there. Twenty three <laughs> years. <laughs> I get it, but I think it was just so incredibly unexpected. And the yeah. first one happened, and my part we we kind of had read something about it happening. And the first one happened, and my partner and I were like, oh, "All right, it could be worse." And then they dropped the big one, and we were like, yeah. "Oh God, I'd be really fucked off if a devastated Sopranos and that that comes out of there." Because you do like. You, yeah, like I say, you just don't expect it in that show, in that way. Um, and I, oh, just don't get I quite that liked off. it, but then obviously I've seen The Sopranos as a mother. You're just, you're just glad yeah. they didn't spoil the wire for you, aren't you, Beth? That's, uh... <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That'll be next. <laughs> That'll be the, the final nail in the coffin is when they, uh, when Wong, in what a wild world we live in, when Wong spoils the wire for me. Yeah, that um, will happen. That will happen. I see. Yeah. I quite like it. Like, there's something I find she she quite overwhelmingly charming at the moment. So I'm uh, uh, I, I'm still enjoying it a great deal. For for I, I'm I'm digging its its slightly anarchic vibe. Uh, I think it's a nice sort of palate cleanser. I'm leaning more into what Terry was saying in the fair, in the, the the live show about its kind of forced feminism. It's it's getting a bit overwhelming now. Like oh. First Me Too, and now She-Hulk is an actual soundbite from something <laughs> that's used in the show. And I just put my little head in my little hands and was like, I've got this. I've got this quite wrong. But we'll see. We'll see. We've got, what, two episodes left? Four episodes left? Three episodes I, left? I don't We're know. We're not there yet. We'll get past the finish line, but it's it's not, it's, it's made me quite angry. <laughs> I'm gonna smash. <laughs> Fair enough, Beth. Smash. Beth smash She-Hulk. Uh, all right, all right, Boydie. Any other news from you? Um, I'm just gonna say that The Handmaid's Tale has been renewed for a sixth and final season, which is just before the fifth season starts um, in in the US this week um, with a two part premiere. And I've seen, I've read, I was reading the reviews this morning, and they're all saying what a brilliant um, return to form it is. Uh, and that Elizabeth Moss is more incredible than ever. And as we as we all know, Elizabeth Moss is the greatest person in the world. So I'm happy for her, and um, it makes sense that there's one more, going to be one more season. The Crown has paused production on season six out of respect. Quite rightly, yeah. And Picard's got a premiere date. It does. I mean, it doesn't. Well, this was announced February on Star the 16th. Day. It's February the sixteenth. Yes, it's next, February. next year. I'm we'll just get... dragging it out. And there was a little teaser. Were you excited? Yeah. 
No, but is it going to be less shit than the last series? <laughs> I really hope so. I really hope so. Uh, Sophie Petzl went on the Spotlight podcast recently. Uh, I don't know if it's actually aired yet, but she's uh, talking about the harrowing experience which was watching Star Trek Picard season two. So let's hope they can pull it back with season three because two really was fucking hateful. So um, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm excited about three for no other reason than Worf is back. But just having the rest of the crew back that that gives me hope. Like I'm going to have to watch season three just for that. But I'm still wounded by two. Talking of uh, um, that podcast, um, I watched. I didn't. I, I couldn't include this obviously in what we're watching because it's, it's strictly speaking a film. But I did take the time to buy the 4K uh, Blu-ray release of um, Star Trek: The Motion Picture, and I watched it um, the oh, other night. God, why? I knew you were going to say that. You absolute twat. It's it terrible. Is. No, it's not terrible. It's terrible. No, it's not terrible. It's absolutely not terrible. Oh, it's God. really. It's a lovely thing to watch. Is it's actually it aged. Yes, it is. It has aged <laughs> kind of brilliantly because I'm not going to go into it because it's a film. We're no, about. please it's not, it's do. Not the I, I, but I really it. loved it. I haven't watched it in full for years, years and yes, years and years. Good I'm, reason. <laughs> I went to the cinema and I watched it the first day it came out and I remember thinking at the time that the scene, the famous scene where they spent about 10 minutes literally just going round the Enterprise as as, um, William Shatner and uh, Scotty, I think, yeah, um, just literally look look at the Enterprise for 10 minutes. I loved that. I remember loving it when I saw it in the cinema, thinking, oh, this is amazing. And I liked it even more in the in the Blu-ray. It's the director's cut. I think it might be slightly shorter than the um, theatrical <laughs> version of that scene in particular. But honestly, it's I loved it. It's ambitious. It's it's demented. It's, it's ludicrous, obviously. But the cast are all in fantastic form. They're all kind of, you know, and yeah, I'm not going to go on about it, but I really, I really, really enjoyed it. That scene you talk about with the walk around the Enterprise is genuinely my favourite part of the film. That, like, I enjoyed that because when the yeah. quote-unquote plot kicks in, that I, it loses okay. me. But, all right. uh, yeah, but, you know, but also obviously being re-released is Wrath of Khan. Now, Wrath of Khan had that to fucking yes. film, so, you Of know, course, of course, yeah. yeah. That's but extraordinary. TMP for, for proper Trekkies is also wonderful. We did a ranking of the worst Star Trek movies on the Empire website recently. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> the motion picture was very, very, very near the bottom. <laughs> oh, uh, God. Yeah. It was not as bad as The Final Frontier, which is officially the worst one, I would say. But it's close. Anyway, anyway, did either of you watch the trailer for AMC's upcoming adaptation of Interview with the Vampire, which I'm very, very excited about. Now, I obviously, having not watched anything this week, have not had a chance to watch that trailer. So I want to know, is it great? Is it terrible? Does anyone care? I, I had no idea it, it had dropped. So I'm sorry, I haven't watched it. No, yeah, no I haven't watched it yet. I'm sorry. Um, oh, dear, <laughs> We watch it now. No, I'm yes, it, uh, let's yeah. pause the podcast. Watch that and the trailer for the Peripheral, which is the Chloe Grace Moretz one, uh, which is um, from yeah. Lisa Joy and Janet Nolan, uh, and which I've heard good things about. And watch the trailer for that either. God, this is a terrible news section, isn't it? We're just announcing there are trailers. We just <laughs> haven't bothered to watch them. Dragging um, ourselves through this. Well, one thing we probably can talk about is obviously the. BFI London Film Festival is uh, all but upon us. And there are a number of TV shows that are going to be showing at the festival, uh, which I got a list of uh, recently. So The English is going to be showing there, which is Hugo Blick's Western with Emily Blunt. I'm really psyched about that one. I'm assuming mm. you guys are as well. Oh, yeah. I may or may not have seen some oh, of this. Of course you have. <laughs> Already. Of course you have. I, based on the trailer that I've seen, it's fantastic, yeah. 
Well, gonna that's going to be showing at the festival on the 15th yeah. of October. Mammals, the James Corden, Sally Hawkins show, is also <laughs> showing there. Um, have you seen that as well, Boyd? No, no, I've yet to see that, to be fair. Yeah, that's from Jez yeah. Butterworth. Yeah. It's a clever dissection of monogamy and marriage, I'm told. Yes, so, yes. Ex- exciting there. Uh, Exterior Night is showing. Uh, I don't know what that is. I probably should no. do. Nor do I. Not a clue. Italian maestro Marco Bellocchio makes his impressive long-form TV debut with his depiction of the notorious 1978 terrorist kidnapping of politician Aldo Moro. Sure, why not? Raising, um, raising lobster. Uh, a Spy Among Friends, which is the Guy Pierce show. That's going to be at the festival mm. as well. I'm psyched about that. We may or may not have already spoken to Guy for that particular show. We oh. should bank for a later episode of the podcast. So that is exciting. We obviously Last have. One, <laughs> we have. We 100% have. <laughs> we 100% have. Well, shit like that would be if he had <laughs> yeah, done that. Yeah, we may or may not. Oh, actually, we haven't. We haven't at all. I mean, get yeah. Amazing. Yes. What a triumph. We, we have absolutely spoken. <laughs> good to Guy Pearce. Um Lars von Trier's made a TV show. That's kind of blown my mind. But uh, he's doing oh, this yeah. uh, the third season of his uh, his hospital drama, which is The Kingdom Exodus, um, which I've never seen. Have either of you seen this? No, it was at, at Venice. Um, and I've heard actually quite good things, but I could go because they were showing all of them. And that was just five hours of Lars von Trier. And I, I just don't got the stomach for it, to be honest. That's fair. Mm, yeah, that is fair. I watched series one. It was it was wild, but it's it's pretty good actually. Yeah, it's quite good fun. And then high school, which is Claire Duval's kind of uh, it's a queer coming of age series based on musicians Tegan and Sarah. Is it Tegan, Tegan and, Sarah. and Sarah or Tegan and Sarah? Yes. Obviously, I don't know who the fuck these people are. So, oh for uh, goodness' <laughs> sake! You, know, you do know who they are because do you know what Tegan and who what song Tegan and Sarah wrote? The theme tune to see. Uh, everything is awesome. <laughs> Everything oh, is cool okay. Well, obviously, I do know that, but I, okay. Here's the thing: I'm not a fan of the Lego Movie. I'm not even vaguely surprised. Like, I'm not even like, I didn't. Even, no one is surprised. Didn't even stir when you said that. It's just like, yeah, probably. Yeah, I do not think yeah. everything about that film is awesome. Lone Sorry. Ranger, uh, James Dyer over there. Yeah. I am in many ways and... Lego Batman. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. okay, fine. That is the LFF TV lineup, <laughs> largely. Um, anything else before we move on from this utterly shambolic news section? I like no. it, uh, but no, I don't. Okay, I'm scanning. I'm scanning. I'm scanning. Oh, oh, oh! Did you see there was a like? It was there was a lot of uh, noise made about. You remember the the infamous Starbucks coffee cup in Game of Thrones? Yeah, oh yeah. I so saw a, that, yeah. a lot of noise yeah. made of the fact that there was an unfinished VFX. Gillian, 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 who wrote in earlier on, Gillian, who works on the VFX for House of the Dragon. Maybe it was Gillian's fault. Who knows? Maybe Gillian, you can write in and tell us. Uh, but Paddy Considine's fingers, which should have been green screened out, were just left with little green little green glove things on them. So they, they had yeah. unfinished that effect nope. shot and that went out. So nope. HBO are apparently going to fix that uh, for future versions of it. Exciting. <laughs> Anything else at all? No, we're ending with Paddy Considine's fingers because of course we are. Right, okay, that was apparently the news section or a close approximation of such. Uh, let's move on now to the reviews. Uh, and we begin this week with Bloodlands Series 2 of Bloodlands, in fact. Uh, This is the Jed Mercurio-produced police drama that sees James Nesbitt as Northern Irish police officer DCI Tom Brannock, whose dodgy past during the Troubles just keeps coming back to haunt him. Uh, Beth, since Boyd recently hosted a QA and a with everyone involved in this and is clearly irredeemably compromised, (laughs) what is your verdict on Bloodlands Series 2? 
Do you know, I meant to message you and be like, please don't make me open with this one because I haven't seen the first, I haven't seen the first series. Well, if it helps at so, all, I have and don't remember it. Like, I watched the first couple and I didn't, I, I never watched the rest of the first series, although I meant to, because I remember we really enjoyed it and I wanted to watch the rest of it, but it's one of these things that sort of slipped through the cracks during the tsunami of shows that we have to go through on a weekly basis. So I, I never got to find out what happened or find out whether Tom Brannick was a wrong one, which I think the answer is probably yes at this point but anyway what did you make of it from what you saw uh i think he's uh, i would concur he, he seems like a bit of a wrong one. um i mean i haven't seen um this isn't my usual kind of go-to what am i going to do on a friday night i'm going to watch bloodlands um kind of kind of thing so i just know james that's a bit from um cold feet so it's uh <laughs> so yeah do I, so i'll try and tee it up as best i can um so he is yeah this this detective chief inspector he's assigned to uh, a new case with a very um beautiful blonde lady who may or may not be a femme fatale um type person and uh i'm struggling <laughs> i'm struggling he's, he's he's assigned to the case they try to solve the case james mesmet might be not giving all the information to his um deputy that he says that he is um and there were some car chases some incompetent police officers who couldn't seem to stop the car even though we have plenty of time to stop the car and the gun uh, yeah um it was very gripping it was very high octane surprisingly so for a, a police show with uh, James Nesbitt in it who doesn't even try to be at, like an active man <laughs> he's just like so I was I was impressed by like how kind of propulsive it was and it had a lot of action in it um yeah really didn't mind it I, I quite I thought it was an interesting setup so it's, it begins sort of way back in 1997 I want to say it's during the troubles uh, and you see DCI Tron Branding a de-aged a slightly shakily de-aged James Nesbitt uh, it frankly killing the shit out of some people <laughs> which is a hell of a way to open the show and it seems to be that this is all about obviously it's about uh, a murder and a robbery and some missing gold and there's a lot going on and he's up to his ass in it and I think it's just how this plays out but my main thing with this because I can't remember I know the first season there was a murder and did it go back to the troubles and was he involved and again having not watched the end of the first series I couldn't spoil it for you if I wanted to but I'm assuming he probably was uh, but big mm. shout out in this to the fact that A. Lorcan Cranich the ever awesome Lorcan and Kranich is in this as DCS Jackie Toomey uh, and I love him uh, all the way back from Cracker and also props to Charlene McKenna who plays DS Neve McGovern and she is this show's MVP uh, she gives the most spectacular side eye and snark all the way through this and it is an absolute joy to watch uh, so if if for that alone I would say watch this but yeah it's, I was gripped by this I really want to see where this where this goes but I of course now cannot continue with this I need to go back and watch season one before I watch this so I've got some catching up to do but yeah. it, it's very good well spoiler alert okay spoiler alert I mean go on halfway through series one um, yes which was only four episodes in fact um, you see James Nesbitt's character, Tom Brannock, the, the cop. So the idea is that he's investigating along with um, his professional partner, um, Neve, played by Charlie McKenna, as you said. They're investigating a murder which may or may not be connected to the events decades previously when a serial killing assassin for hire 
was running amok, killing people. And um, the and basically the revelation of it was one it was there was him. It was um, Tom Brannock, his character, James Nesbitt's character. So what's really interesting for me about the this whole project is it's gone from series one, which was like a mix of who done it, with then massive rug pull, the fact that actually one of the people heavily involved is or certainly certainly he was this 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 assassin character. And then at season two then becomes something a completely different show. Season two is um a, a criminal investigation. It starts off with the death of this guy um who is, has clearly has connections to um terrorists during the troubles and the and this hidden gold, etc. And his wife played brilliantly by Victoria Smurfett, living in their massive modernist house and and um James Nesbitt's Brannock and uh, goes to see her and they're investigating the death of her husband. But at the same time, what's really happening is all the way through, he is trying to conceal his own nefarious activities. So he's fixing the investigation like as it goes on and deliberately stalling the investigation, in fact. So it's a really unusual, it's a really clever um, device, really. And I, don't, I, can't, I, I, can't, I can't think of another example of a show that, that does this whereby and you're kind of rooting for him you know in 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 a kind of twisted way um because he's very charming you know as a, as a this, this cop and he's funny and his his face-offs with Lorcan Cranich's character his boss effectively are really entertaining um and his daughter's really great he's got you know he's getting a good relationship with her and she started to go out with um birdie who's a bit of a doofus one of the underling cops so there's all these like intertwined relationships and i think it's one of james nesbitt's best ever roles because he he does a brilliant job of being the charming dad slash detective reliable guy similar reliable guy and in the key moments when he's on his own being the the um ruthless assassin for 20 years previously who's covering up all of his crimes so um it's fascinating to watch and as you say really really expertly done it's very taut it's very um it, it has got that it's no it's no no coincidence that it's from Jim Mercurio's production company because it's got that mercurio-esque very taut storytelling technique whereby there's no flab on it every scene is advancing the plot or and or the character there's no you know hanging out hanging around waiting for stuff to happen and so it, it moves along at a cracking pace and the constant rug pulls and twists and i love the and it has its own little interrogation Scene. So there's a scene, I think it's in episode two, where Brannock is interrogating Victoria Smurfett's character. And you don't, they're kind of flirting. You don't know whether they've maybe got some kind of past that you haven't been told about yet or what is going on. So it's got these ambiguous set piece scenes that are really smart and clever. So I really like it. I, even as you say, I did, it did host the, um, the uh, RTS event for it. Um, which has been delayed because of the death of the Queen. And this may, by the way, this may well be delayed by the death of the Queen. It has, it has, I haven't been told by the BBC that it has yet, but it's supposed to go out next Sunday. We'll see if it actually does. But whenever it goes out, it's really good. <laughs> yes, when, when anyone gets to see it, which they will eventually, it is good. Uh, that airs provisionally yes. on BBC One. Yes. But uh, yes, we'll have to see what happens. Right. Next up this week, we have Vampire Academy. Uh, this is based on a bunch of, frankly, what appear to be YA erotic thrillers. <laughs> Best 
selling YA erotic thrillers. They sold 8 million copies, these books. Uh, but they're based on a bunch of books by Rochelle Mead. And it's kind of like a YA romantic erotic drama about an elitist academy where there are elite, it's an elite social class of vampires and they're inappropriate friendships, forbidden love, lots of beautiful people biting necks and glowering at people. Uh, Boyd, did it suck? <laughs> Is, is by the way is that what's going on okay um uh well this is a wild piece of tv isn't it like <laughs> oh my god I mean, wild is the fucking word in it wild <laughs> it's put it this way it kind of i mean i just don't know what to say about it it's it it, 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 it seems to be mainly this is my main takeaway from it it seems to be mainly an excuse to use the peacock streaming services high bar for adult content, right? On a YA-style piece of IP, i.e. these um, these books by uh, Michelle Mead about youngish vampires and werewolves and different clans, rival clans and all yeah. this, that and the other. But the production values are such that it got it reminded me of like those really cheesy 90s <laughs> early days of you know like showtime and like the really tortured end of the cable tv market where they'd have softcore sex scenes smattered throughout shot quite badly with a kind of you know um over like soft lens kind of effect um and this felt a bit like that like all like there's a there's a romp there's a sex romp about 5 minutes in for no seemingly no good reason. There's a couple Absolutely more. Absolutely true. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple more they fit in by the end of the first episode. There's quite a funny little twist about some characters and with you know what happens to them quite early on. Or not a twist, but just interesting development. This whole boarding school setting is like designed. It looks ridiculous. It's like what? Is it? it looks like something a bit like our Lord of the Rings, maybe. You know, <laughs> kind of like weird production design of it. Very camp. The whole thing is a fucking camp fest. Um, so, I mean, it's not boring. It's just absolutely ridiculous um, and quite cheap looking. Oh, and the acting. I mean, it, <laughs> the same varies. The, the weird thing they've done as well is a weird mixture of British and American yes. actors. Yes. So you get like American actors doing terrible British accents. You get some British people doing British accent and you get some, and it, and the, and it, so it just doesn't work because it feels like they're all like acting in a different show. But at the beginning, like the voiceover is like the most American thing that's ever had. It's like, yeah, and then yeah. there are like vampires, and it's like totally. And you're just like, what is this voiceover? <laughs> yeah. and why is it so American? Yeah. Like, it's, yeah. and then it you was get so- these posh. You get these posh, uh, like security types who are doing all these martial arts training, going, "I am moving on to the to thine castle." <laughs> 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 it's ridiculous, um, but it'll probably do really well because it is. It's like weirdly fun. But it's one of these things where you look at something like, if you're going YA, you look at something like Shadow and Bone, which is quite lavish and high production values, and you really feel like they put a lot of money and thought into the world. And this feels a little bit like it's tightened its belt a few notches too much. Oh, yeah. Um, And yeah, because this is, on paper, like this is 100% my jam. Like it's a vampire (laughs) academy, YA ridiculous thing. But I, yeah, I and I was interested enough that at the end of it, I was like, oh, I quite want to watch the next one because it ends on a kind of a big bombshell and i really want to know what happens yeah. <laughs> uh i didn't know <laughs> and almost certainly won't but i still quite want to know what happens maybe i'll read the eight million best-selling erotic thriller books oh and God. see what happens there 
it's such a to me it just and it's interesting to i probably should have read up more of this before we spoke about it because i just went in completely blind and didn't realize it was based on a series of novels from 2007 onwards it feels like it was constructed by an algorithm it feels like it's just been it's like one of those christmas movies on netflix where they're like we need like a bake-off element and we need royalty and we need a girl in a bookstore it's like that but it's like okay we need vampires probably some bad british accents probably some boys with shirts off inexplicably probably some very homoerotic less subtle undertones like and then like i you're saying like kind of early like network television i got like the bachelor from this there's like these like drone (laughs) shots of these like lavish castles like underlit at night and it's like got this like kind of pulsy oh the music was horrible it was like um trying to be quite bridgerton i think this kind of like classical but kind of reworked to be like trap music like it was it was uh it was a lot and it didn't stop for like the whole yeah of that james james will have episode. no idea what the bachelor is by the way just so no i know although bad you know like a like a where they all where like 12 girls go off to mm. like a parcel in like i don't know like somewhere nice and hot and have to like <laughs> win over a guy and it's it's just like a drone shots of this like big castle there's a really weird choice at the end of the episode as well just to prove that i did watch the whole fucking thing um <laughs> where like it stops with one of the characters the bombshell drops and one of the characters comes out onto a balcony and like looks off and then the camera like pans off away from her and while the credits are going it like it's like traveling all around the castle and you're like, what the, what the, what the fuck is, is this just They rented of- a drone, Beth, and they were going to get their money's worth. That's <laughs> what that was. They rented a drone and they rented a castle and God damn it, were they going to show it in every single shot that they could do that. But yeah, the performances are absolutely abominable. Like the, there's like, there's, there's, there's moments where the characters have to kind of show moments of like genuine panic and it's like. It's hysterical. It's good fun if you don't take it too seriously, but oh my God. You know, this is a film as well. Like this was adapted in 2014 by Mark Waters. Mean Girls director Mark Waters directed this uh, with Zoe Deutsch as the the main character as a dragon man. I love Zoe Deutsch. And it's it's shocking. (laughs) So that's probably why you haven't seen it because it it didn't do it all well. Uh, So this could do better than that. Maybe. Claire Foy is in that film. By yeah, blimey. that's true. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. That is true. Ed Holcroft. Uh, oh my god, I need to check this out. Yeah, Jolie Richardson's in it. Brilliant. Gabriel Byrne is in Gabriel it. Yeah, Jolie Richardson. Olga Kurilenko's in it as yeah. well. How did I miss yeah. this? Oh, that's I don't know. We should go. We should go and go and get it immediately, Boyd. Go and I'm go and have to. a look. Gonna, Find it on streaming gonna, and watch it and report yeah. back. I, I'm going to. <laughs> That's fun. Amazing. Well, that is Vampire Academy, and that drops on Peacock on the, he says, stalling for time while he brings up his list of dates. It's on the Peacock, which is on the sky, uh, and... (laughs) 
<laughs> and which is of course a satellite service connected to now which is of course a streaming service and they all show tv shows and what uh, is academy there we are 16th of september friday. got it friday friday 16th there we go okay right finally this week we have am i being unreasonable a show which may or may not air because it's a comedy uh which stars daisy may cooper as nick a woman who's bored in her marriage and is dealing with a secret trauma connected to an unfortunate event involving a train uh into her life comes jen played by celine hisley in whom she finds a kindred spirit she's like another mum at a son's school and she bonds with her after hearing her drop a c-bomb uh and i think we can all relate to that so i fully expected to hate this and then i could say it was dreadful and then i was going to ask you beth if i was being unreasonable but i didn't hate it which is irritating because it's messed up that whole thing so what did you think about <gasps> oh well i mean i really want to hear what you have to say about this now and it, that sounded really sarcastic, but I actually meant it. Um, <laughs> well, you know, my girl Daisy, uh, I always, I will always hold a, a soft spot for the moment she stepped out onto that BAFTA red carpet in her Swindon Town FC football shirt dress. Um, I that said, I wasn't, I didn't continue to watch the witch hunt show she was doing. Um, but this, this is just. Com- Completely cashing in on Daisy May Cooper's personality. And I have absolutely no complaints about that. So you're as as you said, James, it begins with this really you see it coming. It the it's it's not subtle setting up that something quite dreadful is gonna happen to this very happy couple and something dreadful does happen. And then this absolute kicker that not only has this happened, but Daisy May Cooper's um character can't uh, talk about it so she's like dealing with this most awful trauma that she has to just kind of keep completely bottled up while she's in um, a marriage with a, a guy that's just got his own cross the bear who's played by I've forgotten the actor's name but he's in Stafford's Flats Dustin Demery Burns that's the word that's the one um, he's great given that he's supposed to be a bella and he really brings at least another layer to <laughs> to his bell entry. Um, but yeah, and then this this great friendship comes up between her and Celine, uh, his lead character, and having um, her to kind of bounce off of um, and get to, you know, see mum's cussing and blinding and drinking far too much wine. and But in a way that's just very much Daisy Mae Cooper getting drunk, Daisy Mae Cooper cussing and her very dry wit and... Um, you know, watching reality TV with her very young son and just like all these wonderful little touches that I think only she could imbue into the character. And um, and I think it's just, just great. There's a few extra uh, twists and turns, but it's just wonderfully enjoyable to watch her kind of run riot after this country and get to do something and just prove that she is, you know, so much more than that show and, and, and a real kind of comedic force to be reckoned with as well. Like, I really enjoy her anyway. I've really enjoyed her, like, social media controversy around her publisher, um, where she got in a lot of trouble and called them up on Instagram. Like, there's a whole saga around that, which I implore you to watch. And I don't even get involved with social media drama, and I love this. Um, I digress. This is a wonderful show. Yeah, it's actually it's it's the, it's interesting because it's the first thing she's written or co-written since um, this country. Because um, the Witchfinder, which you mentioned, she starred in, but she didn't write it. That was written by the um, yeah, written by the Gibbons brothers. So it's really interesting to see what she's come up with. And um, 
I, I think it's so it's such a it's such an interesting I've got these are interesting three times already. Uh, it's such a fascinating, intriguing piece of comedy, which is created with Selen Hisley, the co-star, who was in the brilliant Mum as well, by the way. Um, Stefan Golachevsky's fantastic series Mum, and together they've created quite a th- I don't quite an unusual show because. It's on BBC One, primetime, 9.30 on Friday night, if it's not delayed due to due to uh, recent events. And it's got, like, cunt in it, you know, as we said. You know, um, it's, it's, but to be fair, got, the deployment of that word is, is art. Of course. It's perfectly it, it, done. Oh, it's brilliant. But it's got a, quite a um, full-on sex scene, you know, with, with her and her husband, her useless husband, by Dustin Emery Burns, as we've said. It's, so it's got weirdly, and, and, and those moments I found quite surprising because it starts off kind of not gentle so much as just, I don't know, it's just got a, a very interesting, unusual tone to it, um, which is quite darkly comedic, I would say, for sure. It's exec produced by Jack Thorne, the legendary Jack Thorne. And I feel like... This team of the two of them, Daisy, Daisy, Celine, and him, have really come up with something different here and, and rather fantastic. Um, I love their son is played by Lenny Rush, and he is he steals every scene. He's brilliant. He she is so um, what's the word? She, he is the one with a sense of kind of you know what, she, what right and wrong, and what she, he has to literally beg her to take him to school in, in one of the early scenes because she, she wants to just sit there watching her reality TV because she she could you could consider it to be a bit of a stereotype, but that but it feels like to me the whole show is about what someone like this is really like and like deepening you know a character like this because you know there's very we've seen similar kind of characters before but she's definitely different and then there's definitely more to Celine Hisley's character than than you initially know and 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 slowly there's a scene towards the end when you think oh what's going on there there's something odd going on happening there with her so it's got it's kind of a mystery and a comedy and it's about relationships and it's about marriage the, the depiction of a stale marriage from that woman's point of view I thought was so brilliantly convincing and well observed um so yeah i really loved it i think i think so you know just from just from the first episode i think it's pretty brilliant i mean it's not my thing generally i don't like anything just done really uh but i think I, it's just, it's not my sense of humor as you know it just doesn't really do it for me i think the reason why i did not hate this was it's not really a comedy <laughs> like it's quite well, dark i mean yes. look sure it, it has comedic stuff to it, it but the is. comedy <laughs> the comedy i think in many ways plays second fiddle to the story which is quite dark a little bit bleak it's done with the tongue-in-cheek like it's, it's definitely it's, it's black humor in it but i lo- i found the actual storyline quite quite compelling and the way the first episode kind of ends i was like oh this is quite emotionally raw and also really quite dark as well and i'm quite interested to see where it goes i will never find out i can't emphasize that enough but i uh but but i didn't hate it and uh you know that that kind of surprised me so (laughs) i thought you were gonna go full on oh yeah i'm really gonna enjoy it no no i'm 100 not anymore but i was surprised that i didn't hate it when I fully expected to, uh, so you know that's something. Uh, but am I being reasonable? Will come out at some point, I guess. It was I supposed mean, to come out this week. We don't moment, know if it will. At the moment, it's due Friday, sixteenth, nine thirty, and I have not been told otherwise as yet. But there's this whole uh-huh. thing about BBC's not showing any comments for two weeks, so who knows? Yeah. 
Yeah, as long as I don't come for Fate the Wink Saga, I'm oh, fine. Of course. Uh, speaking of which, Fate the Wink Saga Season 2 lands on Netflix yeah. on the 16th of September. That's pretty exciting for all involved. Everyone wants to know what happened to Bloom the Fire Fairy. Uh, and speaking of things that sound like winks, Minx comes to Paramount Plus on the 14th of September with Ophelia Loverbond, who you've heard from earlier. What else is happening this week? What else have we missed? Um, well, uh, all creatures great and small. The fabulously um, successful Channel 5 drama is back for its third series on Thursday, and I'm a big fan of that show. Cute animals, lovely Yorkshire landscapes, some quite well-written and well-acted drama. What's not to love? You'll be pleased to know um, that Bake Off is back on Tuesday. I only mention it because it is fucking amazing. Um, Very comforting viewing with Matt Smith. Matt Smith? Matt Lucas. Matt Lucas, of course. I'd watch it with Matt Smith. Well, yeah. Um, would you, though? And Noel Fielding, no. and it's just really good. Oh, by the way, I just literally found out today, the NTAs, the National TV Awards, are supposed to be on um, Thursday at 8 o'clock with some quite good nominations this year, like After Life's In It and Sex Education, Dairy Girls. But it's been postponed officially. They've just announced till October, so that's not going to happen either. Okay, just fair so enough. That's not on. Professor T starts on Friday, Series 2 on ITV, which is the... Ben Miller um, crime drama where he plays um, a detective with an overbearing mum played by Frances Delatour, who okay. is an absolute legend. Yeah, completely love her. Uh, Minx, you mentioned, yes. Yeah. The uh, Emmys we should mention are on Tuesday oh, the 13th, Emmys, yeah, which on is Monday. tomorrow as we go out. So uh, is it Monday? It's yeah. Monday night in the US and it airs in the UK Monday on night. Tuesday. There's yeah. highlights. Highlights yeah. in the UK on Tuesday yeah. on Skymax yeah. slash now. Yes, So we'll correct. talk about the Emmys next week. Yeah, yeah, by which point no one will care. Um, yep. But that is. <laughs> but we, the final point to make is as as the, all of these programs may not make it to her because the TV schedules are in flux as we speak. Well, the but Emmys, I think, I think, will go ahead I regardless. Mean, <laughs> the Emmys will definitely go ahead. And, and the the one show you're guaranteed will not be affected is Fate, the Bloody Wink Saga. That's 100%. Sure. 100%. We can all be grateful for that, Boydie. Yes, yes. Uh, and the only reason what? we didn't review Minx is because it's embargo, by the way. But I, I do, yes. in my interview with the Feeding Love It Pond, I make it quite clear that it's really good. Yeah. Okay. Well, we will we will maybe mention that next week. We'll see how it goes. Um, what's your pick of the week? Mine would be, am I being a reasonable? Definitely. Yeah, but I'm going to go Bloodlands then because they're both good. Yeah, I would love to pick Vampire Academy, but I'm not going to. <laughs> uh, it will be Bloodlands, yes, for me. Um, one thing I should mention is something that has not come up so far, and that is the trending hashtag release the dire cut, which obviously follows oh, last week's yes. promise about the karaoke video, <laughs> oh which I have not mentioned. Now, obviously, it's I had planned to put that out. <laughs> I had planned to put that out. So I do feel like at this point, honor bound to put it out. But I feel like this has been slightly overhyped at this stage I feel like everyone's going to be hit very disappointed no, when this no. video actually goes out and it's actually massively anticlimactic but okay so what I'm going to do is because it's going to go on stories so it's going to be a blink and you miss it type thing what I'm going to do is I'm going to put it on stories on Monday evening so when this podcast broadly speaking goes out so then you'll have a 24 hour window from this podcast coming out to see this not at all exciting video of me singing Leonard Skinner on a stage but people who followed me on Instagram thank you very much just to see that you will get to see it um yes i'll put it up on monday night 
Well, that is it for this week's show. If you enjoyed it, then do please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or the pod platform of your choice. Remember, if you want to submit your questions or comments, you can do so on Twitter or Instagram at Pilot TV Pod. You can follow us individually at James C. Dyer, at Boyd Hilton, and at Beth K. Webb. And of course, by the time you hear this, the much-vaunted and, as I've said, wildly overhyped karaoke video will be on my Instagram at James C. Dyer. Uh, so you'll be able to see that in my stories there. Please be gentle. On next week's show, there are a few important things dropping, not least of and or the new Star Wars show on Disney Plus which may or may not be embargoed we will get time to retrospectively talk about Fate the Wink saga or maybe Minx the Fate saga who knows come back next week and find out pilot out pilot out